Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. New York City Crick Club is now accepting applications for spring 2021 semester. Now in its fourth year, New York City Crick Club is offering nine new courses this spring via Zoom with eight new faculty and 30 guest speakers and critics from around the country. Spring 2021 features a newly designed visiting critic program, which offers weekly artist talks and critique from established contemporary artists, as well as two weeks of professional feedback and dialogues with gallerists and dealers, including Mrs. Gallery, Monica King Contemporary, Pace Gallery, and more. Applications are now open and close January 20th. Classes often fill before the deadline for accepted artists. Early applications are encouraged. The New York City Crit Club is a radical alternative offering critique, community, and connection for artists post-BFA and post-MFA. They're proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and work-study rates for artists in financial need. New York City Crit Club is run by Hilary Doyle and Catherine Haggerty. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Manufacturing in upstate New York, Golden is an employee-owned company that manufactures acrylic paints, core watercolors, and Williamsburg oil paints. Golden sent me some new paints to try out, So Flat Matte Acrylic Colors. They're professional-grade acrylic paint that are completely matte and self-leveling, so they leave no brush strokes. So Flat artwork is easier to photograph and looks fantastic online. They're pretty amazing paint engineering feat, and you can check them out and all their other products at goldenpaints.com. Liat Yosefor is a painter who received her BFA from the San Francisco Art Institute in 1996 and her Master of Fine Arts from the University of California, Irvine in 2002. She was an artist in residence at the Rauschenberg Residency in Florida and at the Frankfurter Kunstverein in Germany. She's had solo exhibitions at the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis, Pomona College Museum of Art, the Armory Center for the Arts, Gallery Anita Beckers in Frankfurt, Patron Gallery in Chicago, Miles McHenry Gallery in New York, and Fox Jensen Gallery in Sydney, Australia. Liat is in public collections such as the Margulies Collection in Miami, Los Angeles County Museum of Art, and the Hammer Museum in LA, amongst others. I caught up with Liat over the internet for a talk about avoiding technology, starting painting figuratively, and moving into abstraction, materiality, studio life, and much more. Here's our conversation. Hi. Hello. How are you? It worked. It worked. (laughs) I'm so happy. (laughs) I guess... The first question I want to ask is like, you know, as an admitted person who's not in the tech stuff, right? Are you just kind of, it's not your thing? I'm like hands in paint, you know, (laughs) hands in clay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So has it been tough with this whole like, or have, did you just, has it been easier in a sense that like, well, I'm just not going to do a lot of Zooms and I don't really want to do this stuff that much. So I'm, I'm more off the grid and then I can focus more on just what I'm doing. 
So, um, I mean, you teach, and so yeah. I think you have a whole new reality in your life. Um, Definitely. As I talked, you know, and I used to teach, but right now, yeah. my my life hasn't changed much. You know, right? I'm just in the studio, and I write emails with a ton of typos to everyone, and they're never proper. And I, <laughs> and I have this excuse of English is my second language. I don't know. It's yeah. And I'm just not drawn to to it. You know. Right. I remember that like, uh, I don't know. When I was in grad school, everybody was like using Photoshop to get to their paintings. And yeah. Yeah. It just never hit me in any way. Like, not part of my life in any way. Right. But I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I I appreciate like you know, basic technology. I mean, I like, you know, I like that we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. especially when you can't really see many people. Yeah. Like I think about, you know, kids who are doing school at home and it's like, well, at least now they can see their friends, you know, even oh, if it's not like out in the playground or something. So that's been a lifesaver because I, I think people I can probably go yeah. crazy without it, you know? Yeah, I agree. I mean, this um, need to connect. You know, yeah. um, and and see each other, and but for me, it's like touch each other. You know, hug. <laughs> you know, right? Yeah, um, for sure. But at least this, yeah, you're right. I mean, and it's nice, you know, when you when you reached out to do this, you know, I miss you guys. I miss New York. I miss the gallery. It's like, yeah, it's like yeah. Of course, I'd like to to see you, talk to you. It's um, I hope I can come to New York soon. <laughs> right. You know? I know. Yeah. I like, hope I can travel any you know i'm thinking about going to l it's funny because you get busy in your day-to-day -day, you know mm -hmm. what i mean and there's certain places you haven't been to in a while and you want to go to but yeah but when this sort of thing happens it really makes you miss those days of just being able to oh i could just travel wherever i want you know i didn't realize how much i traveled before you know i would find any excuse you know oh i i need to go see this opening by a friend of mine in chicago yeah. you know um yeah and so like you know, New York and Chicago are two of my favorite cities, and I really miss them. Because, uh, yeah. uh, ironically, I don't actually go out much in LA. <laughs> right. You know, so it's actually the the cities that I visit when I'm walking around and enjoying the like life. You know. Yeah. But yeah. in LA, I'm on, I, I I'm on the same like routine. That, right? Yeah, when you visit, but it's also LA. You know, it's yeah. LA is a little more. It seems more destination -y than just getting out and browsing yeah it, it's its own thing I've, I've accepted it a long time ago i mean it's not natural yeah. for me but um it actually helps me just focus in the studio mostly right yeah 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 well it seems like you uh kind of got out of the the teaching thing right at a, at a perfect yeah. time in a way because it's so stressful you know like I feel lucky because technology is part of my work and I do use it a lot. And, mm -hmm. um, but you know, they kind of, when, when it hit and everyone was right around their spring break, you know, like we left for spring break and things were like weird, but it wasn't like a thing yet, you know? And right. then we just didn't come back. And after, during spring break, they're like, okay, it's all remote after yes. this. And it just so got hard. thrown in everyone's lap like that. Yeah. So all of a sudden you have all these professors, a lot of professors are older and they don't use technology that much. And all of a sudden it's like, boom, online university like that, you know, just, you got to figure it out. And yeah. that, that's a huge shift, not only in just the technical side of it, but also 
how you connect, how you inspire over, you know, the computer. It's different. It's a, I mean, it's how a do you teach shift. foundation? That's I when I used to teach foundation classes, I was actually over there painting on people's paintings, you know? Yeah. Like right. I did a lot of demo. I wasn't very wordy. I walked around and it was all really experience based. Sometimes just standing next to a student and staring at the work long enough to where they're starting yeah. to question the work. <laughs> Sounds right, passive right. aggressive, but I just right, knew right. that I was I was a viewer, you know, and now it's yeah. like I I don't know how you guys do it. I, I hear different accounts from different people, but you know that those I mean, one of the things that I didn't like about teaching was the commute. Um, yeah, and that's and that's uh, something that you don't have to deal with. So I guess there is a silver lining, or yeah, I, I mean you maybe. spend like the carbon footprint. I think of everything. It's right? just been a little dialed uh, down. Yeah, for in a good way, but yeah, I guess you just make the best of the situation. You know, I remember when this yeah. first started, and people were like, "Well, I'm not going to be talking to friends or hanging out on video chats because it's not the same." And then, like after a month, they're like. This is better than nothing. <laughs> Zoom party. Yeah, it's Zoom party. My birthday, They're like, okay. 9 p.m. Everybody dances alone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's like people have an uncanny ability to adapt quickly, even right. if it's not their ideal situation. For sure. I mean, and also like every time I think about complaining about these issues, I think, well, like I'm not sick. My family's not sick. You know, like yeah. I'm the lucky one. And then you just, yeah, the isolation is difficult on all of us, you know, we're collectively right. experiencing this. I don't, I don't even know how we're going to talk about it later. You know, I don't know right, if we're yeah. processing what this time has been, but um, yeah, you just work with it. I mean, for me, uh, it's funny. It's not, uh, not having studio visits is, is a little bit hard. Oh yeah. Is that, yeah. Do you, did you have a lot of them? No, no, not at all. But I, I had enough of friends come over yeah. and, and um, again, like what I said about teaching, just kind of looking funny at a painting where I know I have to work on it, you know, right, right. really polite friends I have, but just their presence in my studio, I, I can tell what works and doesn't. And yeah, I feel a little bit on my own right now in that yeah. way. Um, but again, it's like, what is that? That's nothing. <laughs> Well, I Small feel like the, the training, yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. The, I feel like the training ground for that was like when you were in, or at least for me, I was in school like seven years straight. Mm, you know, I went wow. from undergrad to grad, Skowhegan. Oh, that's and, tough. And then, yeah. you know, the shift from all those voices in your studio constantly and all those people around you to just a studio where you're, it's just you. Right. Like that's a pretty huge, like that first year is tough where you're like, it's crickets, you know, and, and yeah. you're like, what's going on? So I think, you know, maybe that prepares us a little bit for it, but it's, it's not easy, you know, but I, it's weird. I feel guilty saying this. I don't think I've ever talked about this before on here, but it, I never have had a lot of studio visits. Yeah, me life. too. Me too. I guess I'm like, not popular. Good friends <laughs> here. And, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know what it is. It's, I guess I meet like a lot of my friends, I go out or we would meet or talk mm. outside of the studio. I'm, I'm kind of like, a it's not that i'm i don't want people in my studio it's just it's kind of like my space to do what i'm doing i really get that um i get that and i fight it and the reason why i invite a few friends once in a while is to sort of check in with myself if if it's working you know because i can yeah. end up um 
I just have a lot of obsessive thinking as part of my studio and I can be on a loop sometimes, you know, I'm just like hitting the canvas the same way and getting stuck. Um, and, you know, you need a few tough friends, I feel, but um, it's not natural for me. I mean, I, I, um, I get nervous still before somebody comes over and I clean up yeah. a little bit, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like my studio is uh like you know it is a very very private space yeah yeah i agree yeah so it's yeah. it's weird it's it all it's always great that i mean i mean i've had people over you know yeah. i would say like every other month or something maybe i would have someone that's stop good by. yeah maybe even every three months or something but then in once in a while but i've never had a ton of gallerists coming either like it would just be once in a blue moon and I would just send pictures or whatever. You know what it is like um, also because Miles is in New York. So when he comes to LA, he comes and sees us and it just works. Oh, worked, that's right. Right. So yeah. he comes to the studio. I think if I lived in New York, we would just go out to lunch. So yeah. um, I would say also in terms of galleries, because my galleries are not in LA, when they do come here, it's like straight to the studio. Um, and a little I, bit of I that. I don't have a gallery in LA, so I don't yeah. have to Yeah. <laughs> And then people come and the other galleries like from Japan and so, you know, it, it's, it's less frequent of a visit. So yeah, I guess that that's part of it too. You know, it depends on the situation. And plus there's some gallerists, I have friends who show in places and their dealers are constantly in their business, like in their studio, like, Oh, when are you working so on? Hard. Next? Oh. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't deal with that. No, that's like, yeah, space, it's a, you know? yes, it's a collaborative effort, but to a point, right? Because are um, we are ever, we ever at the gallery at behind a desk like hey <laughs> what do you what do you did you respond to that email that that guy sent about my work you know we but don't. you know some artists do that and I don't and I don't um, ask them I I rarely ask them about how they're working for me but I know artists yeah. are like you know go out there and ask for this and this and then it's like no they trust me to make the work and I trust them to do what they do. But yeah, as you know, really some artists yeah. are calling the dealer and it's like, what are you doing about this painting? And I mean, we're all very different and I, I don't, I, maybe that's smart to ask. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, just I think don't. to an extent, to an extent, it's probably the middle is probably good. I feel like I'm way too <laughs> passive, you know, yeah. and then there's some people just super high maintenance to where, you know, a, I'm sure a dealer like hates working with them because they're constantly irritating them. You know, like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like if you have a show and they, after two days, they're like, did I sell anything? Did anyone come in? <laughs> How Who ridiculous is this? Yeah. yeah. I know, right? Well, you're nice, <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're nice and you're, um, and it, that's part of it. You know, I mean, it's, I guess all kinds of personalities are in this business. Um, Definitely. Yeah. But it's, it's sometimes you do like, conceptualizing you know, I understand that a lot of times the squeaky wheel gets to grease you know what I mean it's like if you're more active or maybe at risk of being a little irritating you will get more I agree or more I agree you know but I'm just more like well it's fine <laughs> but I also feel like the yes I think about that um but but then this kind of earns me my freedom to make my work my own way and they're not in my business. Yeah. So it's a good, um, you know, it's, I measure everything like every day against another. And so right. if I develop a relationship that's really controlling, then I'm sort of uh, opening the door to some trouble in the studio. And I think the most important 
thing for me is the studio. So I think it's priorities yeah. for, you know, we're all different in terms of what we want. Some people are in, in this business and they're not even, they're not worried about making good painting. They just want to be successful. So that's just right. a different agenda entirely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. yeah I guess you carve out the path that is right for you yeah. inherently, you know, yeah, like whatever's most important to you. you know? I think so. Like people complain or, or they try to review their entire art life. And I didn't do this. And then I did this. And then I could have been more aggressive then. And, and um, I used to do that too. But then when I hear my artist friends do that and I have, I'm, you know, I have distance from their career. I feel like, no, you actually write where you should be in some way that you don't even understand. Like yeah. you, you, you should have a kind of a, like, for example, like maybe a quiet career right now, because you need to like figure something out in the studio and you're not seeing that upside. <laughs> right. right or, definitely. Yeah. 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 yeah, the grass is always greener, right? Always. <laughs> We're in a silly competitive industry, right? So, yeah. Yeah, but relative to like, if you're an actor oh, or I, if you're, you know, a musician, yeah. I feel like it's a little, a little more, more chill. Back. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Thank God. Um, anytime I listen to, I've been listening to some interviews, podcasts and stuff with like art critics or people in the industry talking about these really important things. And I can't help but in the back of my mind think it's just, it's, but it's not that important. Like, <laughs> you know, it is, but it is, you know, yeah. it's relative, especially relative to what's going on today, you know. In, in I go world, back so. and forth because sometimes, of course, like a gallery show with paintings up, it seems so like, what does that even mean? But then mm. art as a as a choice of life, philosophically, what we're doing in the world um, is really important. So I I sort of fall on both, depending on the day. <laughs> you know, sometimes yeah. I leave my studio and I feel like it's all meaningless. And then other times I think this kind of, um, I don't know, this, this approach to life, like how we affect people and the experiences that, uh, you know, I, I hate to say provide, but we do. We sort of provide experiences, right? Yeah, um, for sure. Like now, for example, this is just a, you know, because of COVID, I haven't gone out to see any shows or museums for months. And I miss it so much. And I don't miss, maybe I don't miss the gallery shows, but I miss walking into a museum. You know, we're closed here in LA. And yeah. I didn't realize also, not just that, I haven't been to New York in a while, but I used to just stop by the LACMA collection all the time just to see a Beckman yeah. and like take it in, right, right. go home. And, and I'm not doing that. And, you know, people who, you know, go to see the Philharmonic all the time and are not able to do that. And yeah. <laughs> I'm saying yeah, the obvious. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a definite yeah. miss though. And I, no, I agree with you. I think, you know, art is like the most important non-essential thing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It is it's essential, but you know what I mean? Like, it's so important. Like, if you think about when the pandemic hit and everyone was in that sort of like early phase of a deep lockdown, like if we didn't have creativity providing entertainment and sort of respite mentally from all the stress and stuff, where would people be? You know what I mean? It would just be horrible. Yeah, because you have to think of the entire sort of umbrella like imagine you didn't have music and you didn't you know Oof. imagine you didn't have all that 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 is 
that is so integral to us being human. Um, I mean, right. yeah. So like, it is a big deal. And then it I get totally it. It's is. not, yeah. you know, it's not when you like watch the news and people are dying in hospitals and so forth. Yeah. Right. It actually reminds me of thinking about art in a time of war, you know? Yeah. Because that's when the, the big questions occur. And also that's when like fluff looks like what it is and uh, real art stands. And I mean, it's it sort of, um, it's an interesting time that we're going through because, you know, it's, it's a different kind of war. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, it, but it, I think some people are like, I'm talking to, to some friends that I feel are going through this like existential questions because of it actually. Yeah. 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 With their work, with well, life. But yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask if that, if it more in the sense of like content, because I'm always like interested in this idea that when things get heavy in society, that, you know, artists, it necess necessitates some kind of like, um, judgment of of their conceptual connection to creativity for sure which i've never i i feel like some of the best things have been made out of strife and all that but yeah but then some of the best thing things that are completely you know conceptually just about whatever it is are made during those times too so if you think of like you know wartime in the u.s i mean some like think of like swing music right big band stuff yeah during like World War II and like things like that, like music like that, that's purely celebratory. You know, right, is, that's very interesting that you say it because it's not necessarily an illustration of what's going on. It's, right. it's but there is like a trigger and something opens up, but yes. it's not like a direct relationship. There's war and here's work about war, you know, like, right. you yeah. know, that's actually, I think, uh, well, post-war Germany, though, there were some great yeah. war paintings, you know, war. Well, Guernica, just, yeah. for my money, yeah. Guernica is the best painting ever made. And it's completely about war, you right. know, and, and that. But then, you know, there's there's a lot of music and a lot of art that's been made during Strife that's just beautiful and has yeah. nothing to do with that. And it, there's, like, I feel like, you know, it's either you know that agnes martin thing about all work is about beauty either beauty or the lack of beauty in the or world the lack, and it's kind of, right it, good work you know it can take you it can make you escape or it can make you confront and it's really the work itself not the you know the conceptual underpinning of it that you know validates it really yeah absolutely and some works do both you know because yeah, um for sure for Goronica, I would match that with The Hell of Birds by mm -hmm. Beckman. And yeah. that painting is as much politics as it is a kind of a strange fantastical scene that looks yeah. like from a, could almost become a graphic novel. I mean, it's a very, very strange painting. Yeah. And it's, it does both. You, you disappear into that world of painting and then you end up chewing up on some politics that's, you know, whether you want to or not. Um, anyways, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, how did you, how did you first get into painting? Was it part of childhood making art or did it come later? Um, it, it was actually really, really early for me. Um, yeah. I, uh, so my grandmother was a teacher and then she mm -hmm. would 
she would paint um after she painted after she retired and sort of like after hours she never thought that you could have a career like a woman of her generation as a painter but she yeah. had it in tel aviv a tiny little uh, closet where actually literally a closet for for clothes that she made into a studio and she had uh an easel and it, this really thick max ernst book and i was yeah. really little and would come over and like flip through that and talk about like that world of max arms like these bird monster beings um you know that Trippy, was better right? than any tv <laughs> yeah for a kid yeah. and then she got me this uh you know set up a small easel for me and um i would go in the afternoons and paint with her so yeah. some of it started there also my mother does you know was had a regular job uh, no education no expectation of being an artist but was making work again sort of outsider artists in my family just people making yeah. stuff so it started young yeah was your was your dad creative he's an engineer <laughs> well there's creativity in that that right? is absolutely creativity yeah. that's a very interesting brain to study over the years yeah. he's brilliant yeah it's like where creativity hits functioning world stuff you know yeah, he's designing. It's just when I look sometimes at the the diagrams on his computer, it's like I have no idea what's going on there. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and you know, I don't know if you know many engineers. They just they're, they're different creatures. Like you know, yeah, they, they're, it's, wired a different way. Yeah, and they're in a bubble of their own, which kind of reminds me of how artists are. I mean, they're just yeah. constantly working. Like, uh, yeah, they they do remind me of artists in their own way. Yeah. I would opine that most people who get really into what they do have that kind of creativity bubble thing going creativity on. Creativity bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's criticized sometimes. And I'm like, why are you criticizing the bubble? That's how it works. <laughs> That's, right. you know, Those it doesn't mean you're not connected. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they want, they're like, what is that bubble? You're what is that bubble? And, uh, <laughs> Why aren't you more attached to the world? No, I'm very attached to the world. I'm digesting and processing it inside of the bubble. Like that's the yeah, Agnes exactly. Martin going back to her of turning my back to the world essentially yeah. meant I'm I'm a vehicle for the world, you know? Um, right. Yeah. 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 So what was growing up, I guess, I mean, creativity was exposed to you young, but it wasn't necessarily in like a professional way so when you were in school were you taking art classes or was it always on the side and then how did you decide you know when it came college time what to do so um you know i came to the states at just shy of age 16 to mm -hmm. california torrance california and um i took a painting class at the, the high school and the teacher decided to send me to a nearby community college so then I spent age 16 to 20 just at that community college. And I took every like drawing painting class twice <laughs> and just, it became my life. It's actually where it, it happened for me. It was yeah. really because of one very special teacher, um, Kabashi that used to open the, the painting room on the weekends because uh, it had to, be supervised and just let those of us that wanted to keep painting through the weekend stay there 
and we almost formed a little like breakfast club <laughs> and it was just like three of us that decided that friday saturday night was better spent there and it started this um, idea of living life in the studio for me yeah you know and so uh, well yeah. was it i mean when you came over did did you come over for work or was it like family work or was it just to move so my my father left israel before us and um mm -hmm. you know came here with nothing and um i mean i i think it was illegally <laughs> at first and then was yeah. able to get uh work and get like working visas and then brought right. us a year later and then we applied for citizenship it always like something that my father started for us i I had, um, I think sometimes people think that it's very easy to uh, sort of, for lack of a better word, assimilate when you go from like the uh, West, the West to the West, in a sense, right. you know, if it's a Western yeah. country or a country that think of itself as a Western country. But I uh, actually didn't have an easy time in the early days, which is why I think maybe I found myself at that community college with that group of weirdos and painting nonstop because I, it was, um, yeah, it wasn't like, a, it, I didn't know the language at all. That's another thing people yeah. always assume Israelis know English. My generation Israelis and depending which family exactly you're from. And there's many reasons why uh, it's not the case always, but um, yeah. I just didn't take English at school before. So I had to go to ESL classes when I got here and like everything changed dramatically for me at that kind of sensitive age of 16. Yeah. yeah. It's that's not, I mean, it's early enough to learn a language, but it's not yeah. so early that it's like, you know, how young kids, they pick it up. So oh, quickly. yeah. It's like, yeah, one summer and, you know, a new language. But yeah. Oh, yeah. It must be nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Now I'm worried if I if I was to try to learn a new language now, I don't know if I have it in me <laughs> yeah it's not it i mean i've started learning a language you know in my 30s i guess or late 20s and it's not easy is it, it um, takes, japanese so much, that you learned yeah yeah it just takes so so much longer to to learn a new language yeah the older you get like you know you just i just find that i forget Oof. Yeah. You know, unless you're using it all the time, you forget. Well, I think when you're younger and if you learn it, for some reason, it seems like it's more imprinted and you could recall it quicker or something. Well, you know, my sister was younger when we came here. She was nine years old and she doesn't even have an accent. Yeah. Yeah. She just. She um, beat the cutoff, right? Yeah. But it's then. Like if you're, I think it is around nine, right? Is like it? Anything older than that. I think <laughs> you have an accent. Yeah. 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 But uh, it's uh, also that my sister's Hebrew. Um I, I hope she doesn't listen to it, but it's a joke. <laughs> so, you know, she lost something there. You know, I still think in Hebrew. I dream in Hebrew, you know. It's, yeah. 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 So I guess it made it tricky, but I guess art was a way that you could sort of feel comfortable, it seems like, with the community college, or at least you were escaping a bit through it. Yeah. I, I don't know what it was exactly, but... Uh, circumstances and maybe like a deep desire that was already there you know but it's yeah. it's when i realized i'm i'm a studio artist too you know it's like it's really defining for me because i i then went to you know other schools after that community college but i was really stubborn by then 
and yeah. you know about painting so i think it started it started there yeah and what were, what were the early paintings like <laughs> <laughs> really figurative yeah yeah i mean the, my my work was figurative uh, you know also later i don't know if you know my early work because by the time i started showing with miles was actually um a new new work and a new relationship to abstraction but it was all figurative yeah. before yeah well but your new work in a way is figurative because it's kind of your relationship to gesture in the body right exactly i think it's still portraits and, yeah yeah but the the what i really enjoyed when i think back to those early years um was life drawing and life painting and observation yeah but also i wasn't you know i didn't try to describe though at the same time like i think i got something really early on um about painting thanks to this teacher kabashi because you know he he didn't walk around and was looking for the best illustration in class because he really got the soul of painting so uh he was just a very special teacher in that way that was a that was good that was very lucky training to get from a community yeah. college i think yeah for sure like you yeah. can just imagine you know make those apples and bananas look just like apples yeah. and bananas and that's the main thing and you know if you have someone early on who's like you know try to get the feeling out of what you're looking at that can be really like you know yeah a good structure for the rest of your yeah no he was great life. he could have i mean i asked him as i remember asking him like why aren't you showing you know like young people they ask really rude questions <laughs> and uh, he's like why don't you have a career kabashi and he said he said to me um liat it's, it's a curse you'll find out <laughs> or something like that <laughs> He was a funny guy. He also always smoked, and um, oh yeah, yeah, and uh, drank like you know made us coffee the whole day. <laughs> yeah, is also the nineties. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. that sounds like uh, yeah, par for the course, I guess. Right. Then, you know. Yeah. So what happened when you finished college? I mean, were you did you what did you you know what was the plan? Um, so I did not have that direct um, going from undergrad to grad like you. I took time off and I worked at a cultural center. Mm -hmm. And for four years, I was a pr program coordinator, which is ridiculous for me because I, I don't even know what day it is most of the days. So it was, <laughs> it was counterintuitive. I failed How miserably. How did you get that gig? <laughs> I, I kept getting gigs that are not right for me. Um, but then i had somebody that i actually met there at the cultural center in san pedro um who told me i should go meet with daniel martinez at uc irvine and he said just go meet him because he he thought that this would be interesting for me um because of the work that i was doing at the time so i went to meet with daniel and like after i don't know a 15-minute conversation i was like i have to go to uc irvine <laughs> he's an extremely charismatic man so yeah. um uh yeah and then i went to uc irvine but i was you know i was in my mid-20s not my early 20s i think that was good maybe when you when yeah. you just said that you had seven years straight i wonder if that allowed me to pursue graduate school and slightly different after being uh, you know working at a culture center i mean i just wonder um like 
I was really was an advantage. Yeah, yeah, maybe it was, yeah. but it's um, definitely not like super young. Right. Yeah, and then you. Yeah, I think it's different yeah. for different people, right? Like some people, when they take a break, they kind of never regain that energy. Yeah, or they, I've seen that. You go to grad school, and it's almost like a vacation for two years, and they just take it easy. And then there's some who, you know, are like, "Oh man, this isn't. This is so much better than like that." The job, the job I had. They work like double. So yeah, I think it depends on the person, right? Yeah, no, I, for me, I, uh, the, the MFA program was really difficult for me and wonderful. Like er, I took advantage of every moment. I never left the studios, yeah. you know, I was just working nonstop. I made two bodies of work while there that I, um, I still think are even, I don't know, the, even with my mature eyes now looking back, I think there were good is it okay to say yeah. about oneself I, yeah, think, I think i think that i didn't get lost i didn't make like typical graduate school work you know yeah and i actually i think because of that like just a month after graduation i uh, had my first i had a show with a gallery here um that is closed now so i don't know if this will uh, if you will know it but it was called angles gallery oh yeah and it was a pretty that. serious painting gallery at that time like years years ago yeah was Kevin showing there at that time? Yes. And Kevin was my okay. professor and he recommended me. And I did a yeah. show. It was a two-person show with um, Ori Gorscht, who just came off a okay. big show at the Tate. So I was like, what? Yeah. I'm in my 20s. <laughs> okay, I'll put some paintings up. And yeah. Yeah. But I was, I was ready by the time I went to graduate school, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What was the, was the work still figurative at that point? It was very figurative. It was, there were socio-political portraits actually of referencing women who served in the Israeli army. And they were oh. done in a monochromatically. So that's some connection to the work that you know. Um, yeah. So there would be uh, white on white and red on red and black on black portraits. They were very difficult to see um, because they were almost like etched out of the surface. You know, there was no color differentiation, yeah. so there were almost like reliefs. Right. And so it actually connects a lot to my work now. Um, yeah. yeah. That sounds like a good show. It was fine. I, I um, yeah, I, I, I did some, you know, I, I showed there and then I showed at another gallery in LA that that got closed also on a Halloween gallery. I did a solo show with these portraits and I did a show in Israel with these portraits. Yeah. Well, if it, if it makes you feel better, my only show in Los Angeles was in a gallery that no longer exists. Oh, which one? <laughs> it was at Sandroni Ray. Oh, I remember Sandroni Ray. That was a great gallery. Um, years, was, years ago. Oh my gosh. I feel like, yeah. I'm getting old. Yeah, We're yeah, getting old. <laughs> That was a long time ago. <laughs> but it's also interesting, like that um, you know, galleries close, you know. Yeah. And and also your I don't know, the context changes and you move around and yeah. It's like LA twenty years ago, LA fifteen years ago. It's very different than now. Um, it is kind of weird um, too when you start when you're like older than gallerists and when <laughs> when you've been around long enough that like galleries close open back up or change you know ownership or you know when you kind of see these cycles change it's kind of it's interesting 
You know, it's interesting for me is talking to curators that are really young. Um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's really and interesting. Writers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also people who haven't seen like um you know, they haven't seen fashion happen, how it, yeah. no one could make figurative work. Now everybody has to make figurative work and they take it too seriously and they right. don't understand this should pass. <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. You know, um, and also they often like tell you how to think and do and it, it's it's an interesting dynamic when a young curator tells, um, I mean, I'm, I don't even think I'm that old, right? But they also go right. into studios of older people than us. And yeah, but also the, it's interesting to listen to the young perspective, of course, you know, they have Definitely. fresh eyes. And they, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Energy and also like a really deep understanding because the world is constantly changing and especially right. for us or in the studio all the time. I mean, I, I try to stay open-minded. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a very specific dynamic that is a hundred percent true. I think that as you get older, because remember when you're young, and you talk to older people, whether it's your parents or whatever, they're always right. right? right. They're always they're always saying like, "I'm right, you're wrong," and then you think, "No, that isn't how it should be." Like you have these ideas. I mean, you look know, look politically energy. right now. Like everything that's yeah. happening politically is like massively like the numbers of young people on the streets, and the kind of thinking that they're asking from us, like asking, right. and um. You know, this is years of academia teaching teaching students to think of things in relationship to place, to like gender, race, class. You know, and like, yeah. And then they're coming out to the street, and all these years of teaching this, you see it on the streets in this way. You know, um, yeah. We should definitely be be talking to people of all ages. I think I love to have. Um, friends and also people who are just, you know, thinkers that are of different generations in my life. Um, totally. I, I, I think there's a great value in that. And I think that's one of the unsung values of teaching is that you do stay connected. Yeah. To I miss younger that. Yes. people's voices and ideas, because just as I can relate to the fact that like, as I get older, there's things I know now that I never could have known unless I lived through it, right? So right. in other words, experience is a, an education that you can't uh, fabricate. You just have to experience it. That said, as you do build up all those experiences, you it's more difficult to relate to someone who is younger, who's experiencing everything through like that direct relationship. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's kind of like just two sides of that coin. They both have value and they both almost in a way butt heads with each other inherently, but they're they're both valuable they're, they're important to have i really do miss that about teaching like yeah. i i um i i missed out on like because i haven't been teaching in several years there's just ways in which people like uh you know relate and acknowledge to to things so when i went to the Rosenberg and everybody there is like they're academic where you know uh artists that are also academics you know and i felt yeah i was intimidated even <laughs> the first yeah. week at the Rosenberg because I, I i felt like they're that i was out of practice you know uh even like the, the contemporary art discussion 
that is superficial, seemingly superficial, but as a teacher, you have to keep up with it. Yeah, you know? for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I think that when you, yeah, it's yeah. language and it's all surrounds the work. And so you, you actually have to make an effort to, to do that or you get right. stuck sort of like, I'm back to the bubble of the studio, but in the wrong way. Yeah. So for sure. Yeah, yeah. no, I think it keeps you connected in a way that's, it's essential, you know, yeah. even though I might argue that it ages you slightly faster dealing with kids. <laughs> I I actually think that the ideal situation would be if the teaching load was less so that artists can do both, you know, and I think that yeah. artists would have easily be willing to take half the job with half the pay while still yeah. working and as artists, you know, just to be really present in both places. I totally agree. And yeah. I will even, I will see that and raise it that it would be even more advantageous if you could get older and then get in a time machine and go back and be younger. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> with yeah. all that experience and knowledge. Yeah. Oh, please. You know, you yeah. could just go back there. That's awesome. <laughs> Best situation. <laughs> well, we can so, do this through um, our work in some ways. We yeah, can regress, that's, that's you true. know? That's yeah. true. Yeah. 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 Um, well, so I guess a, a, a good question would be, uh, how did that transition happen from, because your work now is so rooted to me and um, my interpretation, it's so rooted in this physical process of making big things out of sort of um, a small scale, like a lot of changes, big movements, uh, color, materiality, um, and all that through a thin channel of change and, and um, I don't know, malleability of what's happening. So I guess, you know, one could blindly say is, well, it's kind of minimalist in a way because the palette is restricted and, you know, it's Limited, this gesture, yeah. but it's, there's all these, when you make those subtle changes, like when you see just a little bit of red under the gray, yeah. it becomes a huge thing, you know, that you, you would never pay attention to that in a big, Max Beckman painting or unless you were really trained to look for that formal stuff. So when did this shift from work that was about the body and about kind of like specific, like if it's like IDF portraits or, you know, right. like very specific things shifting to the medium and these changes being, you know, made through pain itself. How did you come to that? So, um, so I was invited to a, a residency in Germany, the Frankfurter Kunstverein in 2010. And I was there for four months, you know, supported just to make my work. Mm. And um, I made a, a figurative painting show at the end of that residency. And it was a, a really like emotionally complicated show because it referenced, you know, um, before I was dealing with Israeli soldiers now I was referencing German soldiering, you know, it's, but ultimately, when I came back to LA after that residency, after it's been then, I think like, I, I don't know exactly how many years, but a good seven years of working in that way, which isn't just figurative, but also sociopolitical, I felt that identity politics has failed me in some way when, and I, I felt that I wasn't able to, um, that it, it flattened the subject instead of really go directly to the meaning of it, like I wanted to. Um, and that abstraction was actually a way to resist cate 
like being categorized too easily where idf portraits are just idf portraits because they were never right. just idf portraits those were women i knew there was all these complexities just never came through the minute that i felt that there was something um that you can name you know it yeah. it it's like uh it's like everything else that matter fell to the side so i i just it almost happened overnight i just like uh came back to LA i had all these very dark like black and blue figurative paintings in my studio i was working on a show um actually back then for angles gallery and i ended up scraping all those paintings and making gray these gray abstractions that are more performative um for that show and that's sort of that's that was the switch <laughs> and yeah. i still think that identity politics is is not what people i i don't think that um when people think they're making work that is about identity politics that they're making work about identity politics i think 90 percent of what i see is, is illustration it's right the, all the the depths and the considerations of an identity almost cannot be captured in my opinion in that way so um of course there's great examples in history where it's captured but that was my path yeah 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 so you found well have you found that making that shift from the misassociations that were happening between, you know, the identity politics and the paintings and, you know, the paintings themselves and then shifting to abstraction. Do you feel like there was a, a new co-op of people interpreting the work through that language of sort of gestural or minimal abstraction? And that was another thing that you had to kind of yeah. redefine or push out of that area? You know, I not to say that like yeah. every genre has its own pitfalls of like people are just going to see it this way or people are just gonna no. See it's it exactly way, what happens. It's, it's it's part of it, right? No, it's what happens. It's like there's a few people in my life that really know the work. They can come into the studio and and understand that um, it, the work is about these kind of paradoxes of you know the dualities of identity just expressed through abstraction. But most people just think I'm making some Ryman paintings or whatever. I have a better, um, like better results when, for example, I, I did a, a book with a, a local press here and I had some wonderful people write for that book and they really dug deep into the work. Um, like catalog essays are better, you know. And That's always nice, right? Yeah, yeah. When you feel like someone really, it's kind of sad that in a way you have to curate the people to write yeah. the work that you're like i think this person because i've done that <laughs> yeah. i think this person would really get what this is about you know what i mean or if you have to write it yourself that's what it you is kind yeah of hope, you yeah. kind of hope other people could do that and then bring like you know a slight shift to it that like challenges you or makes you think about it differently but you know a lot of times it's just descriptive writing like yeah. here's a show about this work and then it's quotes to press release or something and <laughs> Or you have to choose the people that you think would have an informed decision or ideas about the work, and then you yeah, know, you have to choose it, and you have to have dialogue with people. You know, like you have to share who you are and what you're doing with people for them to come to it. At least, like Mike, I I don't know, 
again, this is all like there are some artists that everything they put out there gets attention and discussed, and you know, it's just not my life. So yeah. for me, it's about these closer relationships and dialogue, you know, um, and yeah, the, the people that actually come to the studio and actually want to take the time and not just. Um, you know, think of, for example, this idea that my work is all in pasto and about material. It, no, it's the negotiation of image with material and that kind of, you know, contradiction between the two, like, you know, uh, like these this two notions uh, working themselves out with each other. It's not just material. Like if it was just material, I would have some assistant do it. You know, like, right. yeah, yeah, it, it's, um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's just, so we kind of, we, yeah. we kind of get into the game knowing that people, most people really aren't going to get it, get it, right? Uh, no, I thought, <laughs> I thought, that, I thought the art world was going to be amazing, full of like, uh, you know, nuanced, progressive thinkers. Oh, no, I meant yeah. more of like yeah. the general population. Oh, um you know, yeah there's, because what what happens with art is because the the language of it is so hermetic right. and self-referential a lot of times that it it is problematic for like joe off the street to come in and to, to get it you know oh yeah I mean? that's for sure whereas like music yeah. anyone can just turn on a record and just get it yeah you know with art it's the language is coded and it's kind of i mean you can have your initial response to it but if you're really trying to connect with what the artist is talking about in relation to image and the history of imagery and art and you know it's 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 a lot more complicated to get those nuances you have to study it yeah and i mean I, art do has people, put itself yeah. on a pedestal to where it it for a large portion of its history well i don't know about that but there has been a sort of you know, pedestal that has been put on and like, oh, you're not going to understand this or or this is high art. This is, you know, something that's above your pay grade of knowing about it. I mean, so what do we do, though? Yeah, it is problematic. But like, what are the options in terms of I think you're us seeing as makers? It these days. Yeah. Don't you see like people are dumbing things down? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's not that's, good either. That's not good either. <laughs> and so it's like, yeah, it can be very specialized but you, you have like a rigorous discourse attached to it, or we can dumb yeah. it down. I don't know. I actually don't know what we're, how we're going to work around this problem, you know, as artists. I think it's, I think to be honest though, like we were saying before, I think it, you carve the path, you know, like if you're the kind of artist who it's so into the sort of conceptual side of the work and how, what it means directly and, and you're, you get lost in your bubble kind mm -hmm. of like of what you're working through. Yeah. Then you probably have a little less on the line as far as like everyone understanding what you're doing. You're That's not true. as worried about that, yeah. you know? And yeah. if you're someone who loves the spotlight and you want everyone to love you and you want to make pretty shiny things or whatever, which to be honest, there's nothing wrong with that too. Like if you want to make a beautiful painting that someone's going to hang in their house there's nothing wrong with that either you Absolutely. know what I mean? yeah like we all put on like a nice shirt or something and feel good or like new pair of shoes and we're like woo you know i feel good you know like there's nothing wrong with that is it it maybe it's a little less deep as as far as like you know it's conceptual resonance in our life but but maybe it just makes you feel good and there's something to be said for that too so i i guess maybe 
it's not necessarily a problem. It's just more of the what you carve out for yourself with your choices of how you want to communicate visually with people. Yeah. What what are your priorities and and the consequences of your priorities? Yeah. yeah. And it's rare to have it all, but some some artists have it all. They're just able to kind of get to the to the meat of the work and the meaning of the work and kind of match like really meet up the viewer in a place that, you know, usually that's, there's a kind of really like direct work that does that. Yeah. That's really good. Um, but there's a lot that isn't. Yeah. So some, some people the, are lucky and they have really able to do yeah. both. Yeah. I agree. That's like the, the musician who has really like, I don't know, like something like Bob Dylan or something like a challenging lyrics and, and a non-conventional style, but it just still, takes to everyone you yeah know what i mean or some or people just get it. it's kind of like a rare it's kind rare. of a beautiful thing it's a beautiful you know? thing it's yeah it's something to yeah i wonder yeah <laughs> who is our current version of that <laughs> anyways it's it's kind of a it, i know that ain't me that's for sure. <laughs> so i'm just gonna keep doing what i'm doing <laughs> you're funny <laughs> well, i don't know that day, we I, I to be honest i don't know that we know who who is this person? I think that um, uh, I do think history will tell us more than whatever we're trying to do now. And as we're defining ourselves, you know, by using yeah. certain artists to define certain moments, like I don't know that we know right. what we're doing. Things get tested over time. I mean, I can be in a Definitely. room, like go to an art panel, be in a room full of artists that, that all think, I'm sure they're doing something very meaningful. And no one in that room is going to leave any dent and right. you know i'm including myself like it's not a judgment over other people it's just that we just don't know and i totally yeah. agree but i will say this i think when i was younger maybe i thought about that just a little bit i've never been obsessed with that idea of the dent that you make mm. or like legacy stuff right but i do recently have felt like to me it's much more meaningful to make a dent or to have a legacy in changing like, like if you're teaching and you have a student who does, who takes to it and like, you know, and I coach like kids in soccer and stuff and like working with like oh, young yeah. kids and like trying to make them, you know, better players and better people and stuff like that really to me feels like, oh, that's a legacy I want to leave, you know? Right. Yeah. Not like my paintings on a wall. Like I, that doesn't really. I like all kinds of so dance. Much. I think dance are important. <laughs> <laughs> I After mean, this podcast, you're going to go take a baseball bat to yeah, cars exactly. outside your apartment. <laughs> Look at all these dents I'm making. <laughs> but I, I think it's okay to want to change and shift language. Sure. But, yeah. you know, um, I actually was frustrated with that idea um, with talking to a friend. And um, she pointed me to like a, a, a text uh, by Claudia Rankine, and it was like uh, one paragraph about poetry. And at mm -hmm. the very end of the paragraph, after talking about why it's important to write poetry, it just said like, um, gosh, I hope I'm not messing up the words, but uh, what, what alerts alters, what are, mm -hmm. you know, and that just a, a poem can do that. And you can just alert yeah. people and, you know, dance can, there's all kinds of sizes for dance and, and, and how we affect people and culture, you know. For sure. Yeah. Butterfly effect. You could be, um, 
God, this is going to be a weird analogy. Like you could be a, uh, let's say it's just a painter who has a really significant career and a lot of young artists look to that person and it, it it's really makes a change in artwork. But then that person in real life could just be a real dick and like, you know, of like, hurt a lot of people or something yeah. and then their dent is probably actually going to be that <laughs> more significant in the yeah. negative you know what i mean but yeah. you would never know that so it's yeah i guess dents are relative right? they're relative yeah and it's like going back to the teacher i mentioned kabashi i mean you know those people right yeah yeah like what Amazing. about him yeah so yeah but you are in a way you are him so you could ask like or in your mind, you can say, well, where's your career? What did you do? But then you and your whole, not not to give that guy credit for what you're doing, but you know, that, that had an impact. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, you're kind of a, you're kind of a, a combination of not just what you leave behind physically, but all the different ways that you, and it's like a butterfly effect thing, you know, like all the different ripples you make. And like, if you're doing like little good things, then that could be much greater than that one big, you know, like the career and the yeah, the aha, uh -huh. right. right? No, absolutely. I mean, and and it's about communicating with people and um, you know, exchanging ideas, all that good stuff. I mean, I think when it's not <laughs> there, you can tell. Those people are just so um, superficial about the whole thing, and I I don't care. For sure. I don't even care at that point to to study their work too much, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's a left turn. Yeah. What's music like in your life? Are you a big music fan? <laughs> I don't listen to music. Ever. I, I don't. So I really did you don't. Listen growing up. I did. Um, I just. Uh, I. What is this? I can't listen to music in the studio. For some reason, yeah. it's it's too much. Like music well, and sense painting. For what you're doing. Right. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it would seem that you need a quiet to really focus in on those decisions you're making and that, you know. Yeah, but I think it's also that uh, music is, you know, it just brings something up in me and then I'm sort of layering two strong emotions. Um, and I've actually found myself like trying to listen to music and just crying. And so that's, <laughs> it's kind of hard to paint when you cry. I yeah I, it's actually because music is so powerful that i don't listen to it much um right i was doing these exercises of trying to paint to wagner at one point several years ago and that didn't go well but uh well the, it's not like you're picking stuff that's <laughs> it's like light listening i mean <laughs> no it wasn't i wanted uh, the drama intense. and then instead i just yeah. end up like sitting on that you know everybody has like their funny chair in the studio the one with a lot right. of paint <laughs> Just sitting on that kind of paralyzed zombie right. in my chair. Yeah. But um, I mean, when I was really young with a, you know, actually this started in Israel. I was 13 when I started, when I went to the only goth and punk club in Israel <laughs> in oh, Tel Aviv. Nice. What was it called? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. The Penguin. It has, it is even like a, I think there's something on YouTube about it because such a rare, interesting thing because it was always really hot in Israel, but we dressed like goth, you know, all in black. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, and then when I came to the States, I had to see everything. I was so excited that I can go see the cramps and I went to see, um, 
I know what was my first show. I do think my first show was The Cramps. And then really? I just yeah. What year was that? Do you? My remember? gosh, eighty nine. Yeah. So this is after the germs. You didn't see the yeah, germs. Yeah, I didn't see the germs. Yeah. But that's like yeah, L.A. punk. Yeah. Like real. I was like because I was already into it when I was in Tel Aviv, but they just didn't come much to Tel Aviv um, at that time, and so it was yeah, all over. Weren't, yeah. Weren't, they weren't playing <laughs> they weren't, Tel Aviv on the no, radio. They weren't <laughs> what a scene that was like that was cool yeah yeah and then when i came to the states also i i did see the bajos reunion but they were all oh, old nice. by then yeah yeah didn't have the same <laughs> yeah, peter, yeah. energy <laughs> peter was balding <laughs> but yeah yeah so so music is kind of minimal in your day-to-day -day now it isn't it's just not in the studio yeah yeah it's not um sometimes i do listen to to like the news like talk radio because i yeah. I'm able to, that's just like background noise and I don't hear it, you know, and I hear fans right. all the time because everything is highly ventilated because I use so much paint, as you know. So yeah, you got that white noise. Yeah, I need white noise. Like when I, when I turn off the fans, it's like, oh, this is, this is intense, you know? Yeah, I love yeah. white noise. I, I don't like absolute silence for some reason. Me too. It's hard for me to fall asleep without like something oh, on. Oh, totally. I yeah. have one of those little machines oh you do <laughs> yeah because when i was a kid we we didn't have air conditioning and when it would get hot we'd always have like a fan in the window oh nice so i loved I, you just get used to you know Something. what you have when you're growing up and i got used to that sound so i just i need that yeah yeah noise is interesting i'm i'm not into music but i'm into noise you know there's even a, a noise when you work with knives and you make paintings oh, yeah, like the way sure. that uh moving the paint uh, across with some of the bigger knife marks i i often just like hit the the linen just enough to it would probably really annoy somebody who's not a painter to come here because it feels a little bit like you know fingernails and a <laughs> scratching yeah yeah but there is definitely a noise to the movement-based painting um, yeah and the sure. breathing and yeah it's all in there yeah. oh and in mine it's the tape like pulling that tape all the time oh, is so awesome. loud it must drive my neighbors crazy. Tape is so awesome, know. though. All the time. You do so much taping, like really amazing taping. Taping is hard. I'm just doing some it's, taping with my new works thing, on right? paper. And I'm, you know, oh, yeah. it is really because you, you are composing things with it. And you're, it's really, it's a gesture, you know? I don't know if yeah, it's, people, yeah. To me, I, I used to teach uh, printmaking when I was in grad school. And it's so much like silk screening. You know, oh, or like uh, ukiyo-e, like the Japanese prints of like layering those different, like you stencil out the area and then you add it. There's a kind of physicality to it, even though it looks kind of, you know, thin. But to me, it's, you know, the process of it is, it's another tool. It's just like any other process with making an image. But yeah, it's really cool. I mean, I, I can only imagine how much tape you have. Do you keep it in like a part of the room or do you just throw it yeah. away? You, keep, you do the tape monster. The yeah. tape monster. Well, I mean, I keep it for a while because um, it's just convenient to like throw it over there, and instead of having to keep taking it to the garbage, so it creates yeah. this like big tape ball. But then it always gets big enough to be it becomes imposing and kind of creepy, and that's when it goes. Gosh, you know, after this, I'm gonna send you because I'm new to tape. I'm just now because mm -hmm. I'm doing works on paper. I'll send you my tape monster because oh, the other day I, I was looking <laughs> at it and like this is fun. <laughs> 
I had one in grad school that was larger than human sized. And just because the garbage was really far away from where my studio was. So it it was just, you know, convenience. But everyone who came into studio started talking about the tape more than the paintings. And that's when I was like, all right, this has got to go. I got it. Well, this happened to me. I had one time a studio visit with a group and I use gloves, you know, fabric gloves when I paint and I dumped them in one corner and it's massive and and it looks really like a piece. And I had, you know, this group come over and one man was like, this is the most interesting of the, and I was like, oh, it's the worst. (laughs) Get out. Took it to the trash (laughs) the next day. Yeah. 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 Oh, you know, your paintings. Yeah, but but this tape ball but the gloves, here, you should show that yeah yeah you should show that right like i heard right. that enough yeah yeah that's like inevitable when you're in school that someone's it's gonna be really like funny. that little i had uh, a studio visit with carol dunham my second year and i had all these huge big paintings based on fractals and and the room was painted too so like i would paint the door off of where the door was to confuse people and like the floor was painted up on the wall so it it looked like this weird kind of virtual thing and i had this really small painting that i did i don't it was just not like you know i just made this little painting of a bird with like one of those cartoon speech bubbles and it was a note yeah and carol dunham came in and he was fascinated with that like he was like that is where it is he's like that's the future carol dunham really i was expecting (laughs) more (laughs) I love his work. Yeah. That's what he, that's what he liked. Wow. Where did you go to school? Uh, Grad school was at Yale. Oh, okay. That's why you met with people at Carol (laughs) Dunham. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had great visiting artists there for sure. Yeah. A good perk. I liked his uh, last yard Blum and Poe. You know, every time there's something about that yellow, this yellow, the way you, Anyways, the way he inserts the yellow in the background on some of the last yeah. painting and yeah. And the men wrestling themselves, the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I just saw that show. I mean, I, I haven't been going out much at all, but when I I created that show, I went around and saw a few and I saw his show, which was um it was good to see work in the flesh, you know. Yeah. I haven't been doing it that much. Yeah, I haven't in months. Just yeah. trying to be you know responsible so well do you have anything coming up are you working towards anything you just kind of have time how has you know your schedule been affected so i actually have a show with miles in may and so yeah i'm working and then i have a show that i already finished the work and it was supposed to happen i have a show with patron gallery in chicago in february Mm -hmm. that show was scheduled in last may but because of covid we've postponed so yeah. the work has been in my studio for quite some time. And that's um, going to actually show my works on papers. So that will be different for me. As cool. well as um, so the, as well as a collaboration with um, Ed Shedd, who wrote poems to the nice. works. And then he would send me a poem, and that inspired me to make another work. And something really some wonderful exchange happened. That's cool. So I'm thinking about... Um, I've never done this before, but how to include, you know, text in this case, some of his poems in the show. Um, yeah, that was a, a really interesting part of COVID, actually, 
because I don't usually collaborate, you know, <laughs> with yeah. in any way. Um, I think I think though COVID has made me want to reach out and just do something with someone, and this yeah. happened very organically. So um, that's a cool project. Yeah, it's, it's actually a cool project. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. We'll see how um, we want to maybe we want to publish a book of the nice. Yeah, yeah, that would be an ideal kind of end product of that you know yeah. show, but then a book so people could like you can have it you know and have those things living together. Right. And poetry is just so visual that sometimes you would send me a poem and just a combination, or like one sentence from the poem or just like two words, literally like fed the next painting, you know, like every, yeah. just words were like dancing in my studio because he was sending me the poem so often and I was, send, was sending the, the works. And I would yeah. kind of wait for the email, you know, I would send the painting and like right, wait, right. wait to get the, to be able to read the painting like through his lens in that way so yeah yeah that's a one of the you know there's there were some good byproducts of being you know quarantined and right i think you know people collaborating in different ways was kind of a a plus yeah yeah maybe uh yeah there's well there's some things about the market that i guess we all hope will will not go back to the art first and the nonsense but you know i think capitalism is bigger than us and it's all going to come back a lot yeah. of people are talking about how we, we're changing and we're changed and then we'll see maybe i'm a pessimist but it would be great if we actually stopped to think whether this worked in some way you know um bad news people just like miami beach too much <laughs> horrible <laughs> did you go throughout the years did you did you used to I go went once <laughs> i went once because i was in uh the art film thing and they were projecting one of my animations on the frank gary building like huge oh wow cool so i kind of wanted to see of course that, you know yeah but i stayed far like way down at the bottom like kind of far away from the the hustle and bustle so it was kind of nice right I mean, I didn't do the party scene or like, yeah, I wasn't doing any of that. So it was, I was like waking up early and walking to the beach and, you know, stuff like that. It was nice. But yeah, the beach is beautiful. <laughs> it's a lot though. It's yeah. a lot. It's nonsense, but yeah. 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 Maybe they'll, they'll rein it in a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. I think, I think the market is an animal, you know, when it wakes up. Yeah, but they they spend so much money shipping that stuff around, you know what I mean? And they haven't been doing it for a little while. And you might think, oh, maybe there, some people will be like, you know what? We don't need to do that, you know? And, oh, here's an idea. When people have shows at the home base, we'll be around to like, oh, yeah. Hello. <laughs> to support that. The you know? actual exhibition that somebody worked on for two years and, you know, right. and is concept conceptualized and not just like, work in bed lighting in a booth yeah that would be great of course we're happens. not talking about miles our our situation is <laughs> different We've you know miles like you know he does miami but he doesn't run around doing like every art yeah. fair out there you know right like yeah yeah he knows he knows it's a waste of time and he wants to be present for the shows Definitely. you know some yeah but he's the guy who who goes and works and then he gets back and is still back works. to work, you know, like <laughs> still he works, works so yeah. hard. So, yeah. yeah. But you Not know, like my, 
my gallery in Frankfurt, Anita Becker's, um, she needs the art fairs because it's not New York and people don't come by yeah. the gallery. So there's that too, you know? That's true. Yeah, yeah for sure. I don't know how that's all going to work out um, for people, but I do hope like you that there's less of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just toning it down a little. Same thing with traveling, like for work and stuff like that. There's some meetings you could just do online, you know? Right. Oh my gosh. Would that yeah. be amazing if it changes some aspects of teaching? in the future totally well i think it should i mean there's some things that i mean we're teaching next semester is optional of hybrid or remote and i'm doing remote and i started a new digital painting class at penn state that i'm teaching and that just makes sense to be teaching it online right. i mean it's all digital so great yeah and um, you have skills you have new skills everybody i'm sure that has been teaching now knows how to do that and i mean oh, yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah, it's just like a new tool now. They can think about it that way. Well, here's to um, society being back open by the time you have your show with Miles. Oh, so thank you so much. Good to see you. That would be, be so great? nice in May. Yeah, I really hope so. <laughs> yeah, it'd be really great. Yeah. So it was great talking. Great talking. Thank Thanks you so much for inviting me over. So nice to do this. Sure thing. Thank you. Thanks. Okay. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast at the website, soundandvisionpodcast.com, or you can find images if you follow on Instagram at soundandvisionpodcast. Many thanks for Regine for the intro-outro music, Michael Lovett for the introduction, the New York City Crit Club for its sponsorship. Make sure that you check out their program online at their website and if you want to get in those quick club classes you got to do it sooner than later because they fill up quick they always bring in some really great uh, visiting critics artists gallerists check them out also thanks to golden paint make sure you get some golden at the art store your local art store go online and get it at goldenpaints.com those new so flats they sent are really cool, super flat. If you're into flat paint, check it out. Uh, lots of great colors, amazing stuff. Many thanks for listening. If you can, go to iTunes, leave a rating and review. It helps out. Get the podcast into the right ears, the people who want to hear about art and artists. And um, happy new year, everyone. Let's hope 2021 is a little bit of an uptick not a lot from 2020 thanks for listening
Check the past, fall the shower, time to 